0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Are you tired of hearing the word mindset, having a strong mindset? I I think that this word is getting to the point where people are just getting tired of it. Your mindset is super important, but we're just getting tired of hearing it all the time. Everyone's talking about it. And I have a guest today that's going to put a spin on mindset and mindfulness that I've never heard before. And I think it's worth sticking around. Her name is Terry Schauer. She's from Canada. She's from Montreal, Canada. She's been in real estate pretty much her entire life. And she wrote a book on this topic. And you're going to hear how she used mindfulness to overcome anxiety. And she uses it today in her real estate business. She was a high-level sports athlete and used mindfulness to overcome her anxiety. You're going to get some great strategies and tips today on how you can develop a useful mindfulness practice so that you can develop a winning mindset in real estate and entrepreneurship. Let's get straight to the show. Terry, welcome to the W2 Prison Break show. I'm looking forward to Hi, Brian. Hi Brian, thanks for having me on. We have we've spoken quite a bit over the last couple of days and I'm really excited about today's topic which is going to be specifically mindset and mindset as it relates to the real estate industry because this is really important and something that I don't think is talked about enough in depth and I want to go in depth here and I, and I I'm looking forward to to you helping the audience learn about some tips and strategies and and and, and about this business. But before we do that, Can you just give us like maybe the 60 to 90 second version of Terry before you got to this point where we're talking about real estate investing and and mindset?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am up in Canada. I'm in Montreal. I've been doing real estate since I was 19. And I was, I would say a dabbler for 10 years before starting my real estate property management business. Mm -hmm. And In parallel, I also had a career as a competitive athlete. I was involved in combat sports for a long time. And I also had some struggles with anxiety. And it was really through those other two aspects of my life that I came in contact with mindfulness, a mindfulness practice. And I really got heavy into, and we can get into this later, but delineating like mindset and mindfulness. And I found that had such a huge impact on my life. And as things went on, I really began to see how that could be transferred into succeeding at real estate. So learned that methodology for mental training, if you will, through like martial arts and overcoming anxiety. And then I was able to see, wow, this really works well in real estate. And then that sort of culminated in me starting a coaching business and writing the book called The Mindful Landlord, which is specifically that. So that's the, in a nutshell, elevator version.
0: <laughs> awesome, And I'm pretty sure you kept that like 60 to 90 seconds. So thanks for doing that. Something jumped right out at me when you said it was delineating between mindfulness, mindset and mindfulness. Can you please talk further about that?
1: So real estate, all about the buzzword mindset. And my joke up here uh, in Montreal, we have some like uh, local big personalities who are like always doing videos. And I, it irks me a little bit because I feel like mindset is maybe the type of thing of positive affirmations, the morning routine. Like I always joke that like, I'm not, I don't get up at five and I don't have a morning affirmations routine. That is, I would say, goes into the box of what you like thoughts. Mm-hmm. So you're using your thinking mind to uh, do various things. You're trying to s- trick your thinking mind out of doing various things with this neuro programming, but it's all discursive. Now, mindfulness is, I would say, the layer underneath that. And I actually don't believe that a lot of that mindset stuff will work unless you have an understanding. And you you don't need to have a very evolved mindfulness practice, but you do need to understand how your mind works. And um, I'm going to just do a little five minutes on that so that people understand what I'm talking about, because it might just sound a little bit airy-fairy. Mindfulness is how your consciousness operates. So we have this incredible tool, which is our consciousness of which the thinking mind is only a part. Okay. so if you want to make the parallel of the radio, so like my thinking mind is the radio, it's always on, can't turn it off. There's always a dialogue in my head. I have some control over what the content of those thoughts are, but I'm not very good at controlling it and I can never turn it off. I can, however, become critical of how much I identify with it. And that's when we get into the other levels of consciousness. So we then have our emotions, which I like to compare to weather systems. Mm -hmm. You can have rain, you can have snow, you can have sunshine. I can have sadness. I can have happiness. I can have excitement. And all of those emotional shades or like sunglasses will color my thoughts. But they're like weather systems coming in and out. And I can go run if it's raining. I can take positive actions if I'm sad. Like those emotions don't force me to act in a specific way if I recognize them as weather systems. If I identify with them and take them too seriously, that's when I run into problems. And so like through mindfulness, we are able to cultivate this relationship with our thoughts and with our emotions that they are not us. They are things that we feel and sense, but the actual us is what is underneath those two things and it's called deep presence. So no matter what I'm experiencing, there's this part of me, which in mindfulness gets called the watcher, and that deep presence is the thing. It's always there. And through mindfulness practice, what you're doing is you're training your ability to identify with the watcher. And to the extent that I'm able to identify with presence and the sort of popular culture things are like be in the now, be in the moment. What does that mean? It means that I'm identifying with presence as opposed to my chattering thinking mind. And as opposed to my emotional systems, which are like lights on the dashboard going off all over the place. So to just give you a concrete example to maybe make this clearer, like fear is a big thing in progress. And that's maybe the dominant emotion that people face when they're either trying to leave their day job or trying to start something in real estate, leave their comfort zone. We all have to grapple with fear. And so what is fear? Fear is a dashboard light that is there to warn you. That something might be dangerous. Now, maybe that dashboard light is on for a good reason, or maybe it's just on because you're uncomfortable. And it's the job of the watcher to be like, oh, look, I'm having a fear response now. How much do I want to identify with it? How much do I need to take it seriously? And how much is it? Ah, that dashboard light comes on every time my car, I just smack the dashboard and it goes off again. So you choose the degree to which you identify with that. And then there's like the spirally thoughts that go on top because fear is an emotion. Then all of a sudden I start catastrophizing. But like if I'm trying to condition myself to move through fear, first, I'm like, okay, that dashboard light is not on for a good reason. So all of that, like, blah, blah, blah thoughts, let me just not listen to the radio. Not going be able to turn it off, but I can choose, do I really want to give it my full attention and the full weight of my belief? Or do I want to just be like, no, okay, that program's running, but I don't need to pay attention to it. So this is what you can get out of understanding how your consciousness functions and developing what's called a mindfulness practice, which allows you to toggle between those three levels of consciousness at will.
0: Wow. That was beautifully explained. I'm never going to look at my dashboard the same way again in my car. (laughs) Seriously. Or listen to the radio. I was like, I really don't. You did a great job explaining that and making it like practical so that people could understand it. What does your mindfulness practice look
1: like? So when I started down this road, it was as a tool to get over anxiety. So I had a period of time when I had panic attacks and they were debilitating to the point that like for three months, like I couldn't reliably leave the house because I would panic and then lose my ability to function properly. And so one of the things that gets recommended if you suffer from anxiety is to start meditating. So that's what I did. I started meditating and then if you want to learn how to meditate you have to go through you have to go down the road of Buddhism. And you can read stuff like I think it's Kabat-Zinn. You can read people who have imported mindfulness methodology into western psychology, but if you want to like really understand what's going on and broaden it, you got to go Buddhist. And so I did a lot of reading to understand that specific take on consciousness and then to learn how to work with it. And then there's a whole host of sort of Western people who do like a half East, half West. I think Dan Millman with the Way of the Peaceful Warrior is a really famous one where people can start. I also really, Arno Ilger, he wrote The Rock Warrior's Way. So it's he's a Dan Millman of climbing. Yeah. And there's this whole, it's called like Peaceful Warriorship literature that will familiarize you with that methodology for performance and for me, as it was a tool to get over anxiety and to perform in my athletic career, that was really my interest. And so that's what I used it for. And that was my gateway of how I got into it.
0: That may be a lot for some people just getting started to, to take on, right? Because I'm assuming that might be a little bit more intense or long-winded. I'm so happy that it worked out for you. But is there a way to maybe progress up to that? like some initial tips and do you do anything else besides meditation to to work on your mindfulness
1: I think without some kind of a meditation practice at least initially it's difficult to really build that muscle okay it's like you're asking me okay I want to get stronger but I don't want to lift any weights it's going to be difficult for me to tell you how to do that like I can tell you okay go get some soup cans and maybe you can do body weight exercises but ultimately the real way to build the mindfulness muscle is through some kind of a meditation practice and There are ways of cheating. Like if you don't like sitting on a cushion and thinking of nothing, like you can go to yoga, you can do walking meditations, but at some point you're going to have to do something to connect with presence and to connect with your watcher. And that is through some kind of a like almost spiritual reflective practice. Prayer can work too, but that's a family of stuff that's pretty tightly connected. And so I don't think you can build the mindfulness muscle without a practice like this, you can read. And, you know, I think this is where, or watch the movie, right? If you want to learn about this, there's a movie of Way of the Peaceful Warrior, you can watch it. Um, my book, Mindful Landlord, is also, there are sections on these different understanding the mind, because it's one thing to, if you understand diet and nutrition, you will be able to just move your life in that direction and build strength just because you understand the principles, whether or not you go to the gym. So one aspect is understand the methodology. Then do you have to go to the gym every day? Depends how good you want to get. But those are the two things. And I would say those are the easiest ways to start. Dan Millman, and obviously you want to check out my book, it oh. fuses real estate with mindfulness in a way that is going to give you bang for your buck on both of those aspects.
0: So Awesome. So let's, that's a great segue into the next topic is how does this all tie into real estate and why is it important?
1: Yeah. So my business model, my secret sauce has been property management. Okay. So I've been managing properties for 20 years. And as I built my business, it's not been easy. And property management is the place where people end up pulling their hair out because tenants, because stupid things, because complications. Like it's a very challenging aspect of making money in real estate is how do you manage your properties? And Somehow like I was a natural at this and then through my mindfulness training became like it, it really helped me. And then I was seeing my clients having trouble with that, right? Either getting too impatient with things or seeing all of these poor mental hygiene basically and the effects that it had on people. And so that's what it motivated me to start coaching and writing in that direction. But in terms of my own real estate practice, once you, it's like one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once you integrate this methodology of being more mindful, like it's just really a trampoline from which you can propulse yourself wherever you want to go. And like, how often do I use it and when do I use it? Like all the time, like the tennis are just so situations can be just so patience trying. And like, when do I face fear? every time I have a goal that's a little bit scary. And so then I have to, because I'm somebody who likes to grow, I'm somebody who likes to move the challenge bar up and up. And every time I move the bar up a little bit, I'm like back in that fear zone again. So I have to then go back to my methodology and be like, no, it's just a ra- it's the radio and the dashboard. And what do I have to pay attention to? So it's constant.
0: <laughs> yes. It can be, it's not for the faint of heart at all. And I, I think a lot of the A lot of the issues that can arise, again, people not paying you or houses house is getting destroyed and this stuff that keep you up at night, right? And make you contemplate exiting the business and and quitting. Hey, was I, this is something that I'm cut out for. Is this something that I should not have done? Going back to the dreaded fear word. So how do we, how do you teach people to overcome that? Or at least to maybe not overcome it, but just manage it a little bit better.
1: I think for me, like just the conversation that we had right now is to understand fear. Okay. So part of it is to the dashboard analogy and the thinking analogy. That's, that's one aspect of it. But then there's just also physiologically understanding what is a fear response, right? And I think combat sport, like that, that moment when you're about to step on the mats or get in the ring, like your mind is just really chattering like crazy. And so you need to have a really solid system to deal with that because now it's not dollars. Now it's, no, someone's trying to knock me out. And so you have to really build yourself up in such a way that like, you, can, you have to be unshakable in terms of your fear response and then understand physiologically what is the fight or flight response? What are the physiological activations that go on when I have fear? So my pupils dilate, I, I want to go to the bathroom, might be short of breath. There are all these kind of physiological things that happen in my body that I can also learn to play with. So in combat sports, we call this like level of arousal. So like uh, an extreme excitement or fear or anger is an extreme level of arousal. This is going to be my optimal sort of level of functioning where I'm like a little bit aroused, but not too much. And then there's I'm too asleep. And so as you become conscious of what's my level of arousal right now and what is the optimal state of arousal that I need to be in to perform, or to make a decision or to react, then I'm able to play with it through competing. And kickboxing when I was doing it is I actually could tell like going too match. okay, am I too aroused? Am I too asleep? And then what do I need to do to either bring myself down or push myself up depending on where I am in my optimal performance state? And so as you become conscious of that, you really become able to manipulate it for your benefit. And when real estate What are the things that provoke fear? Like for me, I'm an introvert. So like whenever I used to go to networking or when I used to have to speak in public, I I would get over aroused and then I have to bring myself down. Sometimes I also have a tendency going into negotiations. I'm like, can be a bit like too chill or too relaxed. And then I have to like, no, boop, I need to like do something to like bring myself up to a level where no, I'm like on and tuned in. So that's how it works in the real estate world.
0: As you were describing the physiological part, I've been. I see a counselor. I'm actually going to see him today. I haven't seen him one for five years, and he always, whenever I talk about stuff that I'm stressed about, he's like, "Where do you feel that in your body?" And I always say to him, "I really hate when you ask me that, because I don't necessarily know." But because he keeps continues to ask me, I I understand more and more what would be, and this is important. You have you do have to understand how your body's reacting, right? This is a major component. It's something that I didn't recognize for years, and if I did, then I would have been much more. I would have been, my mindset would have been better. What's more difficult? Like paying attention to the signs or calming yourself? As you said, hey, I need to bring myself down a couple of rungs here. What's more challenging, knowing it or actually physically doing it?
1: So if you don't know it, it's very difficult to manipulate it at will. And as you are saying that, line. In my mind, I'm just laughing. I'm like, wow. It just made me realize that in real estate, I feel, or or like any kind of more intellectual or more like businessy sphere. Like I did, I did a a PhD before going full-time into real estate. And so like academia is a very like brain heavy kind of world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's so funny from coming from a martial arts background, like for us, this like mind body connection is like, it's so there because you're constantly manipulating it. If I want my body to go somewhere any combat athlete, there's no hiding the stress. Whereas I think in business or maybe in academia, like these more intellectual things, people have this tendency to disassociate from their physical reactions and be like, I'm just this disembodied brain. And that's Western culture. Like it's, it's pretty like a a deep thing. But I think the first thing is to become conscious of that. And again, you can go to the methodology to like intellectually understand, yes, my body reacts to certain things because my amygdala, because my hypothalamus, because these like biological understanding structures. But until you do things that are working on that mind-body connection, it's difficult to play with the level of arousal because what you have to do if you want to push yourself up or pull yourself down is you work on your physical body, which will then calm your mind or bring you up a level. So, for the combat sports things. It's like, if I'm too sleepy, I need to listen to like exciting music. I need to go jump around. Uh, or if I need to calm myself down, I need to like mentally visualize things that are calming, right? And so these are all things that are going to slow my heart rate. They're going to slow my breathing. They're going to undo that adrenaline dump reaction and bring me down. But that's like very physical. Like you can't use your mind to calm your mind. You have to use your body to calm your mind or use your body to ratchet yourself up because you're interrupting, you're fiddling with the physiological fear reaction. And so that's a very long-winded answer to, I feel like it was a simple question, but to be able to manipulate that system at will, you need a mind-body connection. And like, how are you going to get that? Yoga, meditation, martial arts, things that foster this conscious mind-body relationship.
0: No, it's a simple question, but it's a difficult one to, to execute. Yeah. You said that if you're too excited at sport, and this could, you're using sports references, but you can really apply this to anything. You're too excited, like you're emotional, like you're up at this high frequency level, not good. You said a visual, uh, a calming visual, like what is something, I've never done that before. I only just will breathe and try to calm myself down. But what are some visuals that that you use that help you bring it down a couple levels?
1: For me, like it's, let's say there are specific stress situations where I get too, I know I get too stressed. So one is competing, another one is speaking, um, maybe like high pressure, high level negotiations. Um, and for me, the calming thing is I just play a movie of all the significant, meaningful moments in my life that brought me here. So if it's in a sports context, I'm going to remember this was my first fight when I was 20. Ha. Huh? This was when I won that championship. This was when so and so beat me in training. And I just play that little movie and it makes me happy because I'm like, oh, wow, look at this like awesome voyage that I had in that sphere of my life. And then I have the peace and the happiness to go into the current challenge and be like, that's just going to be like another snapshot, win or lose, it's going to be another snapshot on that journey. And like in real estate, it's the same thing or speaking, it's the same thing. Oh, this is the first time I spoke in front of 100 people and wasn't that scary. And then, oh, this was the last time when I hit it out of the park. And this was the last time when I was too nervous. And then you are able to almost laugh at yourself or enjoy that as you would look through a family photo album. So if you want to build positive feelings about your family, go look at your baby photos, go look at your wedding photos. And you're going to be like, oh, man, remember that? That was so cool. And so if you do that with everything that brought you to where you are today, that challenge, you will see it as, oh, this is like the picture I'm taking today. Some of those pictures are happy. Some of them aren't but they're still part of like my family photo album. So Mm -hmm. that's like very tech tactically. That's what I do when I need to chill myself out.
0: (laughs) That's that's really good. No, that's that. uh, I I like that. Just play the movie. Yeah. I wrote that down. Okay. So I'll put you on the spot a little bit here. So what about somebody who's, they're working a nine to five job. They may, they want to get into real estate, right? Again, they're fearful. They don't have the, they don't have the tools, right? They don't have the mindset tool. What would be, and they're anxious about it, right? What would be maybe a movie that they, they don't have any experience in this, right? They're just getting started. Like what would be maybe a movie that they could play to calm themselves down, or a photo album, if you will?
1: Okay, so let's say this is a new challenge. I'm thinking I actually got married relatively late in life, and that was something that generated a lot of nerves for me. So let's say going up to the decision, I got married in a mosque. So going to the mosque. I'd never been there before. So there was like a lot of stress associated with that. And I couldn't play a movie of all my previous marriages to be like, (laughs) let let me remember all the other times I got married to make me feel better about this decision. Right. But throughout my life, I've had situations where I've been stressed and I've been really uncertain of where I'm going to end up. And so I can press play on that movie. My first day of school, moving to a new city, going to a new gym. First time I stepped in the ring. Like there were first times for everything and each one of those has like a memory associated with it. And if I go down that memory lane, it's going to help me tomorrow when I have to confront something that I've never had to do before. I love that.
0: Okay, good. You did a great job. So you can really apply that to to anything.
1: Anything.
0: Oh, thank you. Because I was, that's immediately where I was going. I was like, okay, yeah, you've spoken on stage a bunch of times. And you get nervous. Like, I speak on stage, too. Every time I do a podcast, I get a little nervous. But then it's, oh, hey, I've done like 150 of these. I know what I'm doing. So I guess I was playing the movie. I, I just didn't realize that's what I was doing. So thank you for perfectly articulating that. Your book. Let's talk about your book, The Mindful Landlord. I would say first, why did you decide to write that book? And then let's talk a little bit about the content and where we can go and get it because I'm super interested.
1: I think if you from the interview so far, you probably got the sense that I'm very excited about the impact that this mindfulness practice knowledge methodology had on my own life. Like, I really can't credit Anything perhaps more than that in my success, right? Like in everything that I've been done in my life, had I not had that methodology, I don't know where I would be, but not here. And then walking around in the real estate field, I just meet so many people who I feel like could benefit from those ideas. Like in combat sports, you can't get to a high level without some level of this because it's just too stressful. It's just too difficult. But in real estate, like you can get pretty far without really like. Having good mental habits and good mental hygiene. And it just, people are walking under so much suffering and so much inefficiency as a result of not knowing this stuff. And I was like, no, these ideas are popular in one sphere of my life. They need to make it into the other because so many people could benefit from this and they're not going to, like your average re- uh, real estate person is not spending hours in the gym. And so they will, or they don't have an anxiety disorder. And so they will never meet those ideas. And for me, like it's I really because it's been so useful and meaningful to me, I just want those ideas to be out there. And if I can meld it with some kind of real estate knowledge to bring it into that sphere, like that's just really meaningful to me.
0: Wow, that's awesome. I love it. So tell us about the book and where we can go, where we can go grab it.
1: So very simply, it's available on Amazon, Mindful Landlord. And what so the content of the book is my chapters are alternating. So I have one mindfulness chapter, one tactical, technical real estate chapter, one mindfulness chapter, and one tactical real estate chapter. And so like my angle is property management and maybe acquisitions for a small landlord, like someone who's starting out their initial portfolio. And then there is also something there for the more experienced investor, more around how much is enough which like we haven't really touched on that. But once people start to succeed, we get into what I call the bank account Olympics. And sometimes we become fascinated with our own success, fascinated with our competing with our peer group. And then it's not about the quality of my life anymore. It's about how big is my pile and is my pile bigger than the next guy's pile? And that in terms of being mindful like it's it's a natural human reaction this competitiveness but it can have a very negative effect on your life and for somebody who's more experienced to just be like very aware of that and aware of how much i want to engage with it is going to just give you a much better lifestyle or quality of life than you would have as opposed to just getting on another treadmill And, and we touched on that briefly when we we spoke a little bit off camera earlier like that If you switch your nine to five job for uh, just something else that that you engage with in the same way, you're just going to be exchanging one hamster wheel for another, and that's like not the purpose of starting a business or or owning real estate. The point is to get off the hamster wheel. And so, anyways, for the more uh, advanced investor, there's that kind of that angle as well.
0: Yeah, another uh, the bank account Olympics. Just you you have all these phrases that are just super awesome. I got them all written down all over my page here so again i'm never gonna look at my dashboard again Uh, every time i look at my bank account. no you're right though there is definitely this innate competitive thing it doesn't matter who you are especially if you're involved in real estate and and you're paying any attention to social media which is everyone's having the the time of their lives on social media they don't have any problems whatsoever they don't need mindfulness they don't need a a good mindset they're just driving ferraris and flying in airplanes jets private jets but you're right It, It it's when is it going to be enough? Like, when is it going to be enough? What are you doing this for? Why, why, why are we doing this?
1: You have a kid, right? Like, it's, it's the answer is it's never going to be enough. Like, I always, I look at my husband and I'm always like, my son, man, every time you give him anything, there are three more. But mommy, I want this behind it. And it's with my husband, we often laugh. And we're like, this is just a human being, right? Like, the what the human desire is endless. And if you want to see this, give your kid a candy and watch him ask for three more. There's no moment when he's just happy to have the first candy. Like the minute he gets the one thing, it's like immediately I've hedonically adjusted to that. And then boom, there's four more desires behind it. And so if you're just like humoristically aware that we're all built that way, and I will never, it will never be enough unless I put in place practices to remind myself to be grateful that I'm satiated ultimately with what I already have. And it's to understand like we are built a certain way. And then how do you hack that to just enjoy your life more and experience more fulfillment because you're, you are happy with the first candy. I don't need to eat the next three candies, man. I just got one. Let me be happy about it. That's
0: right. That's right. Although the idea of the other three candies is pretty appealing. So this has been great, Terry. I, I just, Thank you for educating us and and doing it in a way where it just makes it makes sense again. I'm I'm just never going to look at my dashboard the same way. The Mindful Landlord, you guys got to go grab that book. Uh it's on Amazon and I th- I really think it's going to help you. I'm looking forward to to reading it as we before we wrap up here, Terry. Any anything that I didn't ask you? Any parting words, any final thoughts? Maybe you have a quote that you love, just hit us with your best thing.
1: Uh- Oh man, that's really putting me on the spot. I really I really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like I kind of had uh, a lot to say. I guess if I had two parting quotes, like there's two things that I say a lot, not necessarily related to mindfulness, but one is you can't save them all. And I think us people who we want to help, we want to develop, we want to grow. Sometimes it's hard to not put yourself in a position where you're taking responsibility for what everyone else is doing and then the other one the flip side of that is radical responsibility right i am fully responsible for my results for the things that are showing up for me and the extent to which i take ownership of that is the extent to which i can influence them but in that you also have to be super scrupulous about not taking responsibility or thinking you're, you have control over stuff that you don't have control over and again this could be like this the, the serenity prayer if i could rattle it off which i can't but there are certain things that we need to make ourselves accountable for. And then there are things that we need to just look, this is not, I'm gonna, I control my inputs. I don't control the outcome. And that's like a a very, another very big thing in, in mindfulness is that all I can do is build good habits, build good behaviors, I can set goals, but I don't control whether I hit the goals. I do control my behavior that will ultimately result in those goals. Hopefully that's some constructive parting words. <laughs> well, well, well,
0: I nailed it. Nailed it. So I, I put you on the spot and, and you did, did a great job. So thank you, Terry. This has been great. I, I look forward to having you back on, on the show at some point. And everyone out there, I hope you got a ton of value from Terry's insights and grab the book and just make it a great day.